would go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> Colossians 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to move back to chapter 1 here in just a moment as well. Thank you. Never almost um, choked during the Lord's Supper before, so thank you for the, thank you for the water, Adam, and uh, much appreciated. <clears throat> I had a nice big water that almost didn't make it through the first service, so I ran out just a second ago, so this was well-timed. So we're going to move into Colossians 1 in just a moment, then 4 is kind of where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. And I joked last Sunday about being in a series that I had not planned, it's kind of the unseries series to where a few weeks ago uh, I'd preached a message. I was done with the summer series, looking to roll out a brand new one right after Labor Day. Uh, and so I've just kind of been preaching standalone messages for the past few weeks that have ended up kind of fitting together. And one sort of leads into the other and uh, have sort of kept this thing rolling for a little while along the same theme of the message of the gospel and our role in it as believers, what we're called to do with it, how we're called to ultimately share it. So a few weeks ago, uh, we looked at the, a message titled Both And, and how we're called as Christians to have an element of our Christian life of growth and of maturity. We want our faith to grow. We want to go deeper in our relationship with God. Hopefully for you, your desire as a follower of Christ is to be further along in your Christian life than you were six months ago, a year ago, right? That you're kind of in growth mode. You're maturing. You're seeing life a little differently. You're learning his word. And that's great. That's important, right? We need to prioritize that, but not to the exclusion of living on mission as well. And so we looked at that whole both and, that it's not growth or mission or mission or growth, right? It's both and, that God wants us to grow deeply. He wants us to learn his word and to mature in our faith. And he wants us also to live on mission. He wants us to have that component to our life as well because it's about other people coming to know Christ as well. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this concept of the world and how there are different aspects to the world. The, the world that God made, that's one aspect. There's a world that's opposed to God and his rule and who he is. It's kind of like the world system, so to speak. We talk about that, not living in the world in that way. But then we also looked at the world as the people that God has created, the dot the landscape of this globe, right, uh, far and wide, the, the, the 8 billion people who inhabit this planet and all others in different places in history, the world also from that perspective. For God so loved the world, the people that he created, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, that being Jesus, would never perish but have everlasting life. And so a couple of weeks ago we looked at that and how our role as Christians is to introduce the gospel to the world. That it's, it's not to stand back and make fun of it. It's not to stand back and, and uh, you know, judge the people who don't have a relationship with God. Our role is, as Christians, to take the gospel to the world, right? To introduce people who don't know Christ to what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then last Sunday, we, we kind of added to another layer to that. And, and we went really, really super practical. I gave you a little booklet. You can fill in the blanks, which I don't usually do. And uh, hopefully, not only did you fill in some of those blanks, but you began to put it into practice this week as well. And we talked about how to have gospel conversations. That, that it's as easy as just asking someone, how can I pray for you? It's as easy as sharing a little bit of our story, sometimes in 15 seconds, right, of just where we were with Without Christ and how uh, difference that he's made in our lives once we met him. And we talked about a little diagram 
It's not really so much to remember, it's just a little structure to share in the gospel called the three circles. It's got three circles and three arrows, and we unpacked all of that. I won't go through it today, but it's on our website from last week. And, uh, and so we just sort of gave you a game plan for how to have gospel conversations. And here's the cool thing. This week, I um, saw a couple of examples or heard a couple of examples of folks really taking a step of faith into that. One person shared with me uh, on Wednesday night, we were out here for Olympians and we're standing out in the grass and just, I was talking with different people. And. Uh, she shared with me how she took a step of, of, of courage and boldness just to kind of get to know a neighbor a little bit better. Another person texted me this week who I just met a couple of weeks or so ago, and uh, he was saying, uh, speaking of the gospel conversations he'd had at work and uh, had somebody else this morning after the first service share yet again how they had had, you know, uh, kind of their way of having gospel conversations. It was just so encouraging and exciting. And so we talked about that last Sunday of how you as just an ordinary person, God doesn't want us to become a bunch of little Billy Grahams running around here, right? He wants to use you and your personality and, and how he's made you to just be you, but to have conversations about Christ as well in a way that's very natural. So we talked about all that last week. Well, this week we're going to add to it, and we're going to talk about how to do that over the long haul. Not just a conversation, but over the long haul of our lives as Christians. That as long as God puts, on, puts us here, how can we be ambassadors of Christ? That's the, that's the terminology that we used last Sunday out of 2 Corinthians 5. How can we be representatives of Christ, having gospel conversations with people, meeting them where they are, loving them where they are, and yet having conversations about Christ. How can we do that over the long haul of our life? How do we do that as a person who lives on mission every single day, who lives as an everyday missionary? And when I use that term, everyday missionary, I'm not talking about the ones in the far-flung regions of the world. I'm talking about us who've given our lives to Christ. How do we live that way every single day? That's what I want us to focus on. We're going to get to Colossians 4 in just a second. So I was pulling some things together for this message this week. And uh, I was reminded of a phrase I learned years and years ago when I was in seminary. I'd never heard it before until then. My first semester, I was in a missions class with a professor named Dr. Keith Idle, and he used this phrase I'd never heard, but yet I've never forgotten since. And it's a phrase that describes a region of our world called the 1040 window. Now, listen carefully. How many of you have never heard of the 1040 window. Let me see your hands, and I expect most are probably going to be in the air, all right? So the 1040 window, and we've actually got it on the, on the screen here as a map. The 1040 window describes a region of the globe, 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, and it's kind of sliced across North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, and what you find there is that we've got 8 billion people on the planet now. That's the global population. About 5 billion people live inside the 1040 window. Most of them far from God and have no relationship with God and have not embraced the person of Jesus. 5 billion people live here. In fact, it's interesting that one-third of the global landmass is encapsulated in the, glo in the 1040 window, one-third of the Earth's landmass, but two-thirds of the Earth's population is inside that 1040 window. You can see there, it's the predominant housing territory for uh, the Muslim faith, the Hindu faith, the Buddhist faith as well. 1040 window. Churches, denominations, send missionaries to the 1040 window consistently, and rightly so. And many of those who serve as missionaries inside the 1040 window do that at the risk of great harm to their lives. 
Often they operate not in secret. In some areas of the 1040 window, they do operate in secret in the underground church, leading people to Christ and then as part of the underground church. In other ways, they have to protect their identities at times, not just for their own safety, but for the safety of the nationals inside the 1040 window who also give their lives to Christ. There is much persecution that happens inside this 1040 window. There is a great darkness that pervades the 1040 window, and there is a lostness by and large within that 1040 window. Five billion of the eight billion people that inhabit this earth live there. Now, I want to give you something to just think through and to chew on for just a second. What difference is there really between the person of a Hindu faith living in India and trying to somehow find salvation by bathing in the Ganges River? What difference is there between that person and the business owner in Wilmington Island, Savannah, Chatham County, who also does not have a relationship with God. Practically, what difference is there? The answer, obviously, is that there's no difference at all. Now, when you take the person trying to find salvation by bathing in the Ganges River because they're Hindu, and they also worship a plethora of false gods, thousands of false gods, when you drop that person down next to a a business owner or a professional or just the average citizen of... um, uh, of our city or our community or, or this area, right? you're going to see a lot of differences. You may see economic differences. You may see academic differences. You may see differences in skin color or background or lifestyle. You're going to see a lot of those differences. But what difference is there spiritually between the person half a world away who's never heard the gospel and the person who lives on our own across, uh, across our back fence, basically, who has chosen just not to embrace the person of Jesus. There's no difference whatsoever. Lost is lost, right? Separated from God is separated from God. Darkness is darkness. And what God does is he doesn't just send the missionaries to go resolve the issue of lostness globally He has also another plan and another process by which he wants to introduce the world to a relationship with himself as well. And what we find here in the book of Colossians is that especially in chapter 4, Paul kind of lays out for us somewhat of a strategy for how we can live on mission every single day. I remember years ago when I was serving in the first church, the only other church I ever served on staff with, uh, this was in the 90s. It was before I went off to seminary. I was still single. Susie and I weren't even dating yet. I would later go into seminary, and then eventually God would put me here. But I remember it was kind of early on in ministry for me, and uh, I remember being at home at mom and, my mom and dad's house, and, and uh, my dad made the comment. I still remember where I was in the house. I still remember the conversation when it unfolded, and, and he had come home from work, I believe, that day, and, uh, and I was there, and he, he made the comment. He said, I had my first witness today. Now, now, I need to give a little context. My dad was not the primary spiritual influence in my life growing up. It was my mom. My dad had given his life to Christ, but it was really later um, later in his life that he really began to kind of bear fruit and really show that God was at work in his life. And uh, it's kind of funny. I worked in this little church for six years. My mom and dad would visit occasionally. Uh, I went off to seminary in North Carolina. Like literally the next Sunday, they started going to the church and eventually joined. It's like, what was wrong with it when I was there? You know, so I leave and you join. I don't know, maybe I was the holdup. And, uh, but, but God really began to work in my dad's life. And, uh, and so when he made that comment, it, was, it caught me off guard a little bit. He said, I had my first witness today. Now I need to fill in some gaps. Some of you know this. My dad was a lawyer. He was an attorney. <laughs> and my first thought was, um, 
what do you mean you had your first witness? I mean, you, you talk to witnesses every single day. You know, he was a lawyer. That's what he did. And, uh, and, and I don't know any of the other details. He didn't go into a lot of detail. I didn't really press him on it necessarily. I didn't have to. Maybe, maybe for him, that witness was a conversation with someone in his office. Maybe it was um, maybe it was a client, maybe it was a jail visit, I have no idea. But it was my dad's way of saying, today I took a step out of my comfort zone and I did something that maybe my dad had never done before. And I don't know what the words were, but he did something that qualified as I spoke up for Jesus today. I had my first witness. And I still remember it. I still remember him telling me that. And it was this significant moment in his life when he did what God had called him to do. Now, there's a principle here that I want us all to be clear on before I go any further. And I'm completely convinced of this. And we're going to begin to see how it plays out and how we can implement this in our lives moving forward. But the principle is this. When you think about those that God has called to ministry vocationally, you've got primarily pastors, you've got those who preach the gospel. Sometimes they have different titles. It may be student pastor, it may be children's pastor, it may be senior pastor, it may be another title that's mixed in with there. But there are pastors, there are church leaders. I am convinced that the world's lostness is more impacted by those who ultimately share the gospel as, God, as everyday missionaries than by those who are pastors or preachers. Right, when we think about reaching, when we think about reaching those who don't have a relationship with God, the world's lostness is going to be impacted primarily, ultimately more effectively, not by those who preach, on a weekly basis, like I do, but by those who, like you, have a relationship with God and choose to integrate your faith into the conversations that God gives you opportunity to have. And the world's lostness is going to be impacted far more by the everyday missionary. And by the way, I'm one. It's not either or. I'm not like a pastor or an everyday missionary. I'm called to be that as well. Right? But it's going to be far more impacted by those who take the gospel through your own individual walks than by those who stand on a platform like this, talking like I am on a weekly basis. And when you think about just the sheer numbers, here's the thing. Let's just say we have 400 adults here today in our two services, and I stand and I speak, and that one week is the opportunity that I have to be able to engage people with the message of the gospel. And I share the gospel every single week in the messages that I preach. So let's just say once a week I speak to, let's just say to keep it simple, 400 people. As we looked at last Sunday, on average, the per, a person has 27 conversations a day. Some far more, some a little bit less. On average, 27 conversations a day. When you scatter from this place, you're going to go to all these different places. You're going to go to campuses. You're going to go to workplaces. You're going to go to uh, uh, shopping areas. You're going to go to gyms and health clubs and golf courses. You're going to hop on planes and you're going to get in cars. You're going to travel on your company's dime. You're going to go all over the place. Some of you even internationally. And every single time, you're going to have conversations with other people. And where I stand in this one spot, right, this little 20-foot section of a platform area, once a week, and I speak to, let's just say, 400 people, right, you're going to scatter, and you're going to have thousands of conversations. In fact, 400 people and 27 average conversations a day, that's over 10,000 conversations day after day after day after day. And here I am with, with 400, right? that I hope hear me because I'm speaking to everybody and not just one. 
far more opportunity for you to be able to impact people and to influence people for the cause of Christ and to impact, to impact lostness by the conversations you have far more than anything I could do as a pastor or as one who preaches the message of the gospel. So what is the strategy then that we need to focus on? What, what strategy should we try to implement? Well, this is where we begin to see it in the book of Colossians chapter 4. So here's a little bit of the background for Colossians. Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians he really was not super familiar with. Uh, in fact, there was a fellow named Epaphroditus who, uh, who ultimately, or Epaphras, who, who brought the gospel very possibly to the Colossian believers, but he was the one that was one of the influencers in the church in Colossae, not necessarily Paul. Paul had learned, however, that the church was dealing with false doctrine. They had false doctrine that they were having to go toe-to-toe with. And so Paul writes this letter to them. And, and in this letter, he really highlights who Jesus is. He sets Jesus up as Lord overall. In fact, if you can look back in chapter 1, let's just get a little sense of the flow of the book of Colossians. Look in Colossians 1, verse 13. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes to them, and he says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. It does not mean he was created. All right, Don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses camp out on this English word and make you think that Jesus is created. He is not. That's not what firstborn means. Firstborn means supreme. It's, a, it, it's an English word that denotes supremacy. And in the Greek, that's much more clear. Jesus is not created, he's the creator, he's the image of the invisible God. It's a way of saying he is God. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, that means eternal, that means God, (laughs) and in him all things hold together. So Paul in this letter, he is just laying out. Remember, he's he's addressing false doctrine, and he is hammering in the very first, first pages of this letter, he's hammering that Jesus is Lord over everything. And you go a little bit further in this letter, and you go over to chapter 2, look in verse 9 and verse 10. It says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him, Jesus, you've been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Right? He is God. He is the one who reigns. He is the one who rules. He is Lord over everything. Chapter 2, verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. That that is such a visual image right there. He says the certificate of decrees that, that, that was against us. It's almost like Paul is using this language that there was this written list. You know, and it's almost like you're, you're saying, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not really a sinner. Come on. And, and it's almost like Paul says, well, let's just pull out the decree. Brrr, you know, it's like a mile long. Well, here's all the stuff you've done that, that broke God's rules or broke God's heart, right? It, it's, it's just this evidence A that is, uh, we're just unable to argue against. Paul says that there was this certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Verse 14, Jesus canceled all that out. It was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He's our rescuer. He's our Lord. He is sovereign. He is over all. Paul is making this case. Colossians is such a great book. Man, it just over and over and over highlights Jesus for who he is. And then you get to chapter 4. 
kind of that, that, that last remaining section here in the book of Colossians, Paul begins to pull it to more of a personal direction. Look at what he says. This is where we're going to focus, chapter 4, verse 2 through verse 6. And we're going to use this as a little bit of instruction to help us to put together kind of a strategy for living out our faith, our, our witness, like verbally over the long haul. Not just in conversation, but doing that again and again and again over the long haul. Look at what he says, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. By the way, did I mention Paul is writing this from prison, locked up for his faith. Praying for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, and let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Clearly, there is an element here for Paul to where we are to have conversations about Jesus. Gospel conversations. Clearly, from Paul's perspective, this applies to every believer in ongoing fashion. Not just a one-time event, but ongoing throughout our lives. And there's a principle here, again, that I want to pull out that's going to be helpful for us as we look to apply this to our lives. And the principle is this, that prayer is the absolute starting point for living on mission. All right, so you go back to verse 2. Prayer is the starting point for living on mission. Verse 2 right there in chapter 4, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And the language of that means to hold fast to prayer, don't let it go. This is not an accessory. Right? You kind of add it on if there's room in your Christian life. No, th- this has to be part of the DNA of your Christian walk. Right? You need to be a person of prayer. That's what Paul is getting at. Devote yourself. Hang on to prayer. Don't get tired of it. Don't get weary. Don't give up. You continue to pray day in and day out. Don't let go. Now, remember from last week, we're ambassadors as Christians. We're ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ, but he's the king. And so when we pray, it's as though we're saying, all right, Lord, I'm wanting to represent you down in this world here, because you love the world, it's your humanity, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? I live in this world, this world's fallen, this world is against you, this world is in darkness, this world is lost, this world is separated from you by and large, and so I want to be an ambassador, I want to represent you, Lord, and so can you help me to do that well? Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, and then look at what he says in verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. Praying for us as well. He, he doesn't just say, uh, you know, I want to pray for all of you guys, and so you guys all pray. No, he says, listen, I'm walking the same walk as you are. I'm living in the same fallen world as you are, and so I want you to pray for me also because I can't afford to try to be salt and light in this world unless prayer is a part of it. So pray for me. I need God to do his work through me. Paul's like, we're all in this together. Now, he's going he's gonna to ask for prayer for three different things. And this is where it gets interesting. Three different things Paul's going to say, pray for me. Remember, he's making this personal. All three of these things that he asks prayer for from the Colossian church are things that also we need to pray for when we look at 
living out our faith and being a witness for Christ on a daily basis. First thing he says is, I want you to pray for boldness for me. I want you to pray for boldness. Look at what he says in verse 3. Middle of, part, middle of verse 3, he says, to pray for me so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Pray for me. Now, I'm not going to go through, I had planned to, but for the sake of time, I won't. I'm not going to go through the various passages in the book of Acts. If you have our church app, you can see them already printed in there. I'm not going to take the time to go through those multiple places in Acts where you see the early church either praying for boldness or demonstrating boldness. And it literally makes note of it in, in the passage, right? Where they spoke with boldness or, or confidence, right? Boldness is essential when you think about having conversations with people, having influence with people. Because remember, pastors and preachers aren't going to reach the world. It's Christians who know Jesus who are going to ultimately reach the world. When you think about doing that, and it seems overwhelming, you think, I don't know what to say, and I don't know if I'm good at this, or yada, 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 right? When you think about that, the biggest thing that, that we need is boldness to do it, because how many times have we, have we felt an opportunity to be able to speak up for Christ, to have a conversation with someone, right? And, and yet we check it out. I mean, I've done it countless times in my Christian life. You probably have too. And so we pray for boldness. Lord, give me boldness. But because I got a coworker, maybe you say. Uh, this would be awkward if I said this because I work with a bunch of Christians in a church. But it, you know, I got a coworker who's far from you, God. <laughs> you can see why that would be awkward if I said that. And, uh, and Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer all their questions. I don't know how to fix all their issues. But all I know is they need you. And so, Lord, give me boldness because I want to be light in their life. They don't need me. They need you. Help me to be an introducer of you to them. Give me boldness. And Paul, the greatest missionary that ever walked this earth, is writing a letter to a group of Christians largely that he was unfamiliar with. And he says, if you would, don't just pray, but pray for me that I might speak forth the mystery of Christ, that I might not remain silent, that I might have boldness. Boldness, letter B. He also gives a second thing for them to pray for. And essentially, he says for them to pray for opportunities. Look again what he says in verse 3. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word. Paul is praying asking them to pray for opportunities to have conversation about the person of Jesus. Now, don't miss this. <laughs> don't miss this. Paul is a prisoner, all right? Paul didn't run in the streets, you know, in freedom. He's not saying, oh, I think I'll go to the Y today. And, oh, I think I'll go catch a ball game today. Hey, I got to go to work later in and you know, get, get a few hours of work. No, he's not saying, he's chained to a soldier or chained to a wall. And the man is saying, would you pray that God would give me opportunity? Would you pray that God will open up a door for the word that I can walk through in boldness? Praying for opportunities. Oh, opportunities. Now, here's the thing. When you begin to pray, and if I pray and say, God, would you give me opportunities to have conversation about you? He's going to provide opportunities, I believe. 
And sometimes those opportunities in co- comes in ways that we don't expect. Sometimes it may be a coworker or a friend that just comes and they just kind of like unload on you and they talk about areas of, uh, of challenge in their life. You know what, I'm up against it. They may not use the word trial because trial is like a really Christian term and they're not necessarily a follower of Jesus and they don't know that word. They may even use some language that they're not, you know, you're probably not going to come and repeat what they said when you do come to church, right? But all they know is I'm up against it and life is hard and I don't like it one bit. And boom, there's an opportunity for you that God has opened a door to be able to have an impact on them. And part of that impact may be by walking through and saying, you know what, I'm going to commit to pray for you. Or it may be, hey, listen, I want to pray for you. What would you like me to pray? How can I pray the best? Suddenly you're in a conversation about spiritual things. Or it may be even a statement where you just say, you know what, I've been where you are, and what I've found is is that a lot of times it's my faith in and God it helps me through times like this. Have you ever thought about maybe what God could do if you invite him into this problem? And suddenly there's an opportunity that was created that you've walked through. Just being you, it's not a canned speech, it's just you showing love and compassion, and you're suddenly talking about spiritual things. Sometimes God opens opportunities in other ways. I remember one time a family member of mine, and I, and I missed this opportunity, this was years ago, probably 25 years ago, a family member of mine asked me, hey, what translation of the Bible should I use? They didn't really read the Bible a whole lot. They asked me that question, and I just totally missed it. I mean, what great opportunity to be able to have a conversation with someone about spiritual things off of a question that they asked. And we pray for those opportunities, and God creates those opportunities to where we can then have conversations ultimately about the gospel. Paul, what do you want us to pray for? If the Colossians were to ask, I think he would say, pray for, number one, letter B, pray for boldness for me. Uh, Number two, letter O, pray for opportunities for me. And then I think the third thing, obviously, here that he asks for prayer for is for wisdom. Look at what he says in, in verse four. He asks them to pray that God will open a door. He asks them to pray that they would speak forth, right, with boldness. And then verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. In other words, he's saying, pray for me that I would know how to take the timeless message of the gospel and to be able to communicate it to people who don't live in that world in a way that they can understand. That's why it's so important to understand. I think one of the things that so many Christians uh, will kind of roll out there as an excuse for not having conversations about Jesus is I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm not a Bible study leader. I've never really studied the Bible a whole lot. We're not talking about having full-blown, long, drawn-out theological conversations looking at every nuance of Scripture. We're just talking about Jesus, right? And you've got a testimony if you're a follower of Christ. You've got something to say. Paul says, just keep it simple. Help me to keep it simple, to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? So that people can just hear the simple message of the gospel and choose for themselves whether or not they want to follow Christ. Paul says, pray for boldness, letter B, pray for opportunities, letter O, pray for wisdom and clarity, letter W. What a great acronym for us to follow when we pray for God to help us to have gospel conversations, not just once or twice, over the long haul, B-O-W. That'd be Paul's prayer. Paul, what's your strategy for living on mission as an everyday missionary every day? He'd say, well, it's the need for boldness so that I can take advantage of the opportunities and ultimately speak wisely with clarity. You know what's really cool is if if you've kind of locked in over these last few weeks, 
Hopefully you've been able to see the world a little bit differently the way God does. He died for it. Jesus died for that world. Hopefully you've been able to kind of um, assimilate for yourself a little bit of a practical strategy of like, here's how I can share my testimony. Here's how I can draw out and explain the gospel in, in just a minute or two, right? You've sort of formulated all this. Maybe you're even practicing, working on some of that. And now you know what to pray for. Give me boldness, Lord, to step through the open doors of opportunity that you open so that I can have conversation that makes a difference in the lives of people. Not once does God ask you to change a heart. Not once does God ask you to convince them about who he is. He just asks you and me as an ambassador to just introduce people to him. That's it. My dad got it right. I had my first witness today. You know, for some of you maybe, you've known Jesus for a long time. And you haven't been able to make that comment yet. I've had my first witness today. And the thought of it makes you nervous. The thought of it makes you want to just almost get sick or run out of the building, right? But what God can do through you if you're just willing to say, Lord, I can't do it. Would you give me what I need to just have conversation about you? Now, there's an important component that we need to roll into this because Paul does. There's kind of that lifestyle component as well. Look at what he says. Let's go a little bit further as we begin to wrap this up in verse 5 and verse 6. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, verse 6, and let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I want to close with this comment. And we're just about done. We need to keep this in mind. That we forfeit our ability to reach the world when we choose to live like the world. Right? There should be a congruence. There should be, there should be a match between the lives that we live and the words that we speak. It doesn't mean we're perfect. Listen, you see me at moment, times of struggle or weakness or you know, not my best, most shining social media moments, right? And, and you'll be tempted to say, does he know Jesus, right? I mean, we all are in this together. We're all being grown into the image of Jesus. But listen, our lifestyles should not weaken the message of the gospel. When people see us, what we speak about Jesus should be strengthened by the lives that we live. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but it does mean we need to be surrendered. And when we look to live a life the best we can to honor God, and we have conversations in the best way we can about who Jesus is, often what happens is God will pull those things, two things together to impact people for the sake of the gospel. Imagine what it would be like just this week when this service is over, and I won't stand and speak again for another week, God willing. But imagine what it would, and you're thinking God willing too, please, right? But imagine what it will be like when you all scatter and you have your 27 conversations a day, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday before we come back again Sunday. And some of those conversations are right here in this community and others are in Savannah and others in par other parts of the state. Others are other parts of the country. Others are in some other nation somewhere where God sent you and your company's done. And you have those conversations by the thousands. And imagine what it would be like if just some of those, when God provides opportunity, you walk through the door because you're ready. And in just the simple way that you know how, 
you steer the conversation to Jesus. Imagine what God would do when he pairs people who need him with those who are willing to speak about him. It would seem to make sense that God would reach a world that way. And you have the privilege of being a part of it. Hey, if you don't know him, the God who not only moves heaven and earth but also created it, he came in real time and he died for you and he rose again in the person of Jesus to provide this clean slate that we just read of in Scripture. It's a clean slate that you can have where all of your sin is removed and wiped away and never held against you again. And what God showers upon you is grace that doesn't come because you do better. It doesn't come because you deserve it. It comes because Jesus died to implement it. And if you just simply lay down that sin the best that you can and say, Jesus, would you forgive me and truly be Lord of my life? He'll forgive you. He'll wipe your life clean. He'll give you peace and joy. And he'll use you as you want with him. Right here, right now, if you've never done it, you can invite him to forgive and take over. And he'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity today. It's a really special day to be able to see salvation in a sense, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, not salvation and that we receive it by taking Lord's Supper, but we get to see and be reminded that it was your body given, your blood shed, Jesus. And it was done because you love us. It was done because you want relationship with us. And Lord, we've also been reminded from your word of the necessity of living on mission every day, that we are everyday missionaries in this world. That is your plan. That's plan A. Lord, there is no real plan B. Plan B is not to send a myriad of angels to come and somehow preach the gospel across the, uh, across the globe, Lord, because your people don't share the message, Lord. There's no, nothing in Scripture that tells us you're going to do that. This is the plan. It's to get the message of the gospel to those who need to hear, whether half a world away or half a mile away, Lord, by the people who already have a relationship with you. And so give us boldness. Lord, collectively as a church, but also down to a person, give us boldness. Lord, give us opportunities, we pray, to have conversation about you. And Lord, give us wisdom. Father, we thank you for the way you use the life yielded to you. And even today, Lord, for those that have never given their lives to Christ. Lord, we've talked all about the gospel today. And, and for those who maybe have never really even take a step, taken a step of response to it, may today be the day right where they sit where they choose to say, Jesus, God, would you forgive me? And would you wipe away my sin? And would you be Lord of my life starting today? Lord, thank you that you'll save all who call on you in that way. We praise you for it in Jesus' name.